Good afternoon and welcome to the Sitka Nature Show. This is your host, Matt. I want to thank you for joining me here in the first weekend of July 2023. We are past the summer solstice, still very much in the light and warm time of year, but little signs that are letting me know it's good not to take that for granted and to take advantage of this time that we have. A few shorebirds already starting to move through on their southbound journey. Also, the young birds. We had an orange-crowned warbler nest in our, my yard that uh, the young fledged already. I was surprised at how quickly it went. But if you are getting out, I'd love to hear what you're seeing out there. Please feel free to send me an email, sitkanature at gmail.com. Or you can get on Facebook and like the Sitka Nature page there. The conversation I have for this week's show is one I recorded yesterday with Rich McClear, well-known to the Raven Radio audience. Uh, I thought it would be fun to talk with him a little bit about his experiences walking in nature and taking pictures. We'll join the conversation with Rich explaining how he got started. Well, what happened was Dr. Lehman was my doctor, and Penny Lehman is a public health nurse. And Penny said, you know, you really need to get out and walk. And she tried to get me on the park prescription where you you know, walk in the park and get someone to stamp your card every day. And that that wasn't really highly motivating for me. And so one day I went into the back door and I announced, I'm going to take a walk every day and I will post five pictures on Facebook. If I don't, give me a hard time. I also said the same thing at Old Harbor Books. And so I started doing it. And a couple of days when I missed it, either uh, Satira or one of the other people at the back door would give me a hard time and say, you haven't posted lately. And so um, that was the incentive. It was initially a way to get me out and walking every day to improve my health. Nice, yeah, and then having a little bit of proof that other people could uh, comment on. Exactly, exactly. Uh, To create proof by posting five pictures a day on the website. Yeah, you know, I started taking pictures a long time ago, but they were – you know, I just was like, in my mind, I was just going to take pictures of flowers while I was yeah. out, you know, and, and it kind of snowballed for me into the way that I paid attention. I like I have I have journals 25 years ago or so that I was like, you know, I think this photography thing might change how I pay attention when I'm out. Oh, about, that's a, absolutely know? the case. Absolutely. That's what happened to me. You know, I started taking pictures of broad vistas, you know, what everybody, the postcard pictures that everybody takes, Mount Edgecombe framed in trees. Ristovia, you know, Cross Mountain or Cupola Peak. Uh, and I said, people, people are going to get bored with this. Yeah. And so I started looking at stuff. And I started seeing stuff that I'd never seen before. I've walked in that park for years in other places, and I just never noticed uh, the deer heart, for instance. Mm. So I started taking, instead of macro pictures, micro pictures. And I mix them up because I think people would like them uh, different. And uh, so I started um, trying to take pictures of different things. I'd look for things that caught my fancy. Most of the time I didn't know what they were. And so I'd post, could someone tell me what this is? Oh, that's goat's beard. Oh, thank you. And so that's how it evolved. And I think one thing that really struck me was a log. It is a log that was part of a boom that washed ashore probably in the 70s when they were logging up north of town, and they brought the logs to the mill in a boom, and every once in a while, logs would escape, more than every once in a while. I mean, it changed the whole landscape of Sitka National Historical Park with logs along the side, almost like a riprap. And I picked one log, and I decided to just take pictures of it. Every season, every type of weather, and I noticed, oh, this new shoot's growing out of this log now. Oh, the little spruce tree has spruce tips now. Uh, you know, it's, it's bright green there. 
Oh, boy, there's some more moss there that has, I like it. Interesting. And so I just keep taking pictures of this log. And that log has kind of become a celebrity mm. among a number of people. I have people from all over the country asking me how my log is doing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, really, it's really beautiful. It's kind of like a, a symbol of death and resurrection almost, if, if you want to look at it that way. And how this log seeds so much more life how it nurtures so much more life. And so that's kind of become one of the main themes of my pictures when I'm in Sitka National Historical Park. Yeah, there's lots of logs to choose from there. One of the things that I've noticed over the years is the way the beach has changed, and yeah. especially out between the, the, I call it the battle site bench, because it used to be a sign about the battle site there, but now it's a sign about sea otters. Right. So <laughs> I still call it the battle site bench in my mind. And there's a big log that's right in front of that bench now. Yep. That was a about, I don't know, 20, 20 yards down the beach for years. Like I, I was like, that log had been there for a long time, maybe since I was a kid even. And I found the oldest, like it's big enough that you can see it on the satellite imagery just yeah. at the edge of the beach. And I was trying to figure out when, how long that log had been at that one place. And then some storm moved it down and uh, there in front of the bench. But from there to the river, how much the rock is just like the beach is moving out. There's yeah. There's logs that I remember sitting against at the top of the beach that are now, you know, have 10, 15 feet of dandelions and fireweed coming in and all of these things that are growing up as the, well, as the beach has accumulated there. It's more than that. I, I first came to Sitka 50 years ago in 1973, and I'd walk in the park with my kids. And, you know, now there's a lot of alder where it used to be of sea view. Hmm. You know, I mean, the forest has extended out you know, 20, 30 yards uh, in some places with alder woods. And uh, wow, that was that was actually sea view before. That was a beach. Yeah, that outer loop um, yeah. there. I'm, there um, um, Brennan Carter, a few years ago, who is the resource right. specialist at the park there, wanted to open that up a little bit. So, so they've at least, you know, cleared out some of the trees, still a lot of alders there. And, you know, I've walked through there for years, and it just had never occurred to me that there was all those logs in there that, as you were mentioning, are these drift logs from from the mill days you know you could the cut ends and everything and i hadn't realized just how much how much log had accumulated there over the years and then and then i have vague memories from when i was a kid of that i guess it was a salt marsh kind of area it would flood enough to keep the trees from growing in there Um, but then eventually you know the trees came in and it's spruces and And i wonder how much of that is glacial rebound as well yeah, you know, it could be a little bit. Um, one of my hobbies is to look at old pictures from like the Photoshop mm-hmm. or something. And there's a picture of, um, I call it Little Magic Island. There's an island out the road. It's it, High Water Island. It's before you get to Magic Island. It's, right. it's in towards town. And there's a picture from there. And I think the label on it says it was 1930 or, or you know, they had the yeah. date. It was in that time frame. And I looked at the tides and what the tide was and... Um, I think that the date might be wrong on it, but <laughs> it was around the summer solstice in hundred, you know, not quite a hundred years ago. And I went back to try and retake that picture. The shoreline upland has changed. There's now houses and some riprap and stuff in there, but I could get pretty close to it, and you could see the that it was about nine inches difference. Um, like the the ground is relatively speaking about nine inches taller now or higher above sea level than than it was then. Um, so it's been a slow, a slow thing, and I kind of think that's part of what's going at the park, but also just the accumulation of all this rock. Yeah, Brendan Carter mentions that when they were looking for the Neva site, uh, the rebound had a lot to do with that too, mm. because uh, it was higher, a, a bit higher than they thought it would be. Oh, okay, yeah, it had come up some. Yeah, yeah it's it's been an interesting uh, 
thing to track, you know, as a as a human, I guess, you know, it's very easy to be locked in kind of my own sort of time scale perspective and and forgetting that like all of this stuff is changing all the time. So these little windows into the past and and um, photos or, or things like that is kind of a fun way to remind myself that, oh, the stuff that feels fairly static is actually dynamic just over at scales that are a little longer than I'm used to paying attention to. No, it's not static at all. Yeah. That's uh, that's something that uh, strikes me even even over the last few years of walking. You'll see the growth of, uh, of, of vegetation, the change in vegetation in some places is really striking to me. And I really, uh, really find that interesting. Or, for instance, walking Mosquito Cove Trail after a blowdown hmm. and see how much that changes. Yeah, those sudden events, landslides yeah. and blowdowns that like things change suddenly. And sometimes I find myself wondering, it's like, that tree that's now dead, there's a couple trees up Indian River Valley that are, are big, like really big. And one of them, when I first saw it, it was alive, and now it's dead. I'm like, how many hundreds of years? And it just happens to, to you know, die in the, in the 10 years between, you know, the first time I saw it and when I most recently saw it. Uh, and it's, it's kind of, yeah, but what, what those trees have seen and experienced, so to speak, in, in that valley over, you know, Centuries in that case, Little Ice Age and, and prior yeah. medieval warm period and whatever that looked like here. And I don't really know what that might be. But Well, there's a tree that they called Methuselah that went down a couple of years ago mm. in Sitka National Historical Park that was, um, what, 1,500 years old? Something okay, like that, wow. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, just one at a time, you know, there or sometimes multiple at a time. The one part that's kind of striking in the park for me is when I was a kid, we called it the dark forest. You know, there's this, yeah. and I think it had been a blowdown in maybe the 60s. Mm-hmm. And so when I was a kid uh, in the 80s, you know, late 70s, probably mostly I'm thinking of, of my memories of it are probably mostly early 80s and into the late 80s. And it was still just the really dense second well, growth. My kids called it the haunted forest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like, most people that I talked to that that were around like remember that part of the oh, forest. Yeah. It was a little weird. Um, it was. It was spooky. And now it's not there. Yeah, it's it's um, the, it's moved out of that really dense second growth stage and started to open up a little more. You can see though, there's a, as you're coming if you're coming along the river, moving upriver, and you're moving through that patch. There's a spot where now you can see, and you can see beyond to where it is the older growth forest. Right. And the understory, the lack of understory is is significant. Like there's devil's club and ferns and elderberries and all of these things growing, making it really green just over there. And in this part, it's still like there's stuff starting to come in, but it's the forest floor is still pretty just needles and duff and not yeah. a lot of green happening. But over time, you know, it'll open up more because I think all of that was probably logged, you know, when the Russians were here, if nothing else. My guess uh, is, yeah. Yeah. So it's not... It's not like old, old growth forest. But it's still um, it's still a real variety just mm-hmm. on that short, you know, mile or so walk on that loop in the park, which I do so many times a year. Yeah. I was just talking to um, it's at the farmer's market this morning when uh, we're recording this on Saturday. And, and um, I was talking to Jerry Snelling, who he said 15 years pretty much every day he walked through there with his dog. And mm-hmm. he... he used to take a lot of pictures there too. And he's, you know, it's just, it was talking about how it's, you know, you think, well, it's, it's interesting for me sitting at home. It, I, I often have the feeling, well, I've been there. I've seen that. And it's like, it's just going to be the same. And at a certain level, it's more or less the same if you're not really paying attention. But 
when you actually go out there and and you look, it's like you're as you're discovering and have discovered like things are constantly changing. It's just depending on what you're paying attention to. Yeah, you know, I I like watching Tommy Joseph mm. and uh, Dave Keita right now carving in the shed, and Tommy likes to take a, a slice of the log that he's working on, whether it was the spruce canoe or the uh, a red cedar or a yellow cedar totem pole, and he scores it so he can count the rings. He counts the rings and marks them and says, you know, this tree had to grow for 480 years before I could carve a totem pole with it. And I thought, boy, what history that tree has seen mm-hmm. and uh, how, you know, all of a sudden that tree has now got a second life as uh, something else, uh, a living story. Yeah, it's it's remarkable the the trees and and how old some of them are. There's a there was a pine tree and a muskeg. You know, and they don't get that big. Right, this, they're they're kind of stunted. Yeah, this one was big for a pine. It was maybe a foot and a half in diameter. Wow. And I counted. It was difficult to count the rings, but I had to kind of sand it down to smooth it out yeah. to see them a little better. And I got uh, over I think over two hundred and seventy five wow. years that that was growing in that in that muskeg. So it's like you know. Pre-Russian era, essentially, that tree was a little sapling, I guess. And yeah. and that was just, it wasn't far up Indian River, um, just in one of those lower muskegs there. And, and yeah, just the, the amount of time that these trees have, have been here. And then and then to have them, yeah, take on this the, in the art of the, the, the carving and, and that. So is that something you, I, I've noticed you visiting with him there before. Is it, you know, what what is it, what's fascinating to you about the... Uh, the sort of uh, experience of watching that the the everything come out of the out of the tree. Everything uh, is fascinating. It started when Tommy was working in the um, in the in the center itself. Mm-hmm. He was carving a, a, a small house pole for the Department of Interior offices in Washington D.C. And I just went every day and took pictures of him doing it. This is actually before I started the walk. I had a camera. And, uh, you know, I, I did take pictures before the walks, although that, that, not that many. But the process fascinated me from uh, a log to uh, a house pole and then the painting and what he did with it. And got to the point where the Department of Interior asked if they could use the pictures uh, to be displayed next to the pole when they displayed it at the Department of Interior offices. So I sent them um, 40 pictures that they could choose from. And that got me interested in that. And so when I saw Tommy working in the carving shed, I said, can I, can I follow this? He said, sure. And he has been most generous with me in explaining what he's doing, why he's doing it, how he's doing it, how he researches the story that he's telling with the pole um, about uh, you know, the, the technological changes in carving from older times to modern times, about the tools he uses, how he maintains them. Um, you know, the fact uh, he, he recarved a story in a pole, and there were about 15 poles with that story on them. So he went and looked at as many of them as he could, including the British Museum in London, and took pictures of them, has them on his phone, and is able to refer to them while he's uh, doing this story. It was really very, uh, very interesting to learn how much care and how much history go into that art. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's fascinating, and uh, it's a nice opportunity for people because he's there most days. Yeah, 
And uh, and yeah, I, I'm, of course, when you're there, when the tourists are there, there's often a big crowd around. I, I've I, <laughs> must be a really common question because I I often go by there and I'm just looking on the walls for moths, and so I'm just walking by there kind of briefly. And more than once, I've heard, "Oh, about seven months." So I'm guessing that's how long it takes to to make yeah, a, to, yeah. to carve the pole. <laughs> and my that's favorite, probably like the first question. But my favorite was how long have how long have your people been carving totem poles? And Tommy said, "Well, let's see. The last ice age ended." Um, Let's see. And then it takes about 400 years to grow a tree. So about that long. Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was a great answer. I imagine they get a lot of the same questions from day to day. Maybe put up an FAQ poster or something like that. What I think is interesting is I've been by there sometimes when other carvers uh, Mm. from other countries have come by, and they are asking all sorts of interesting technical questions about the wood, the tools, and things Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, I imagine they have a different perspective on on, just what's involved. I remember, uh, yeah, you were you were documenting or try, you know uh, paying attention to when they were carving the boat in there. Yeah, um, a canoe, the canoe. The canoe. And uh, I remember there being um, like knots or holes in the wood, like like places where the wood was damaged. Yes. that they had to patch. Yes, and that seemed like that was kind of an interesting process. Yeah, they used to use pitch, mm-hmm. but now they have epoxy. And as 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 Tommy said. Uh, clinket tradition, best available technology. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and but they were. Uh, I I I did a, two canoes. One that was uh, uh, Dave Brown, I think Dave's first name, master carver. And as a matter of fact, Sea Alaska Heritage Foundation is making a book about that canoe. And they, I just got an, a letter yesterday asking if I could, um, if they could use some of the pictures from that uh, for that book. Uh, but yeah, they. Um, they have to find another piece of wood to set into it and epoxy it. Um, and that that took some work. It used to be pitch that they'd use to, uh, to fix it. And then uh, what I found interesting is how they, they learned how far to dig the canoe out. He had the canoe upside down, and he drilled holes in it and put pegs in. Hmm. And um, the, the pegs, the holes were a certain length, and the pegs were a certain length. Then they'd start digging out the canoe, and when they'd reach the end of the peg, they knew that's where they were. They cut the pegs off on the outside, and the pegs were a different type of wood. So when they hit water, they would swell, oh. and then, and they'd fill it up. So that's how. But that's how they. Um, that's how they know whether when to stop when they're digging out the canoe. Yeah, I guess that could be a trick. I, I suppose somebody that was really experienced could just do it by feel. I suppose, but yeah, I kind of I imagine that it'd be easy to go too far, or not far enough, and. Have the balance not right, and, and and then the interesting part was the steaming of the canoe. Did uh, they do that over at uh, Eagle Eagle Way or the university uh, ramp? The, or? Uh, the one, the first one that they did, they did at Eagle Beach. Yeah. Okay. The second one, they actually did in the carving shed. Oh. And uh, what they did was they had uh, some propane burners and some lava that they gathered at Mount Edgecombe, and they heated that up, and they used it there because they uh, just the, the transporting. Yeah. And that uh, was really fascinating to watch them heat the rocks. The water would be in the canoe. Then they'd put the rocks in and they'd have springy boughs to help spread the uh, uh, the gunnels of the canoe to give it its shape. Um, as one of the carvers said, you know, without without the rocks, it's just a log. Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, yeah, making those things seaworthy and it's, you know, uh, there's a – I think it, Herman Kitka. Uh, there's an old article of of, of about Herman uh, or featuring Herman Kitka, I should say, from like the 40s and one of the last fur seal hunts. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and they went off of, I think they, they had a boat with an engine at that time, but they were, I think as part of that, they were talking about, like in the old days, they would go canoeing offshore to hunt right. these northern fur seals that would be coming off the coast of Baranoff Island. In they were hunting them in February and March, so not a time notorious for like nice weather. <laughs> and it was just kind of amazing that the seaworthiness of these canoes and then the trading voyages that they would do in yeah. these canoes. It's kind of amazing uh, all up and down the coast well, where... The big cedar canoes, then the smaller, lighter spruce canoes that were inshore work canoes. And that, that was the latest one that they just carved at the uh, park was one of the spruce work canoes. So it's uh, it's kind of funny. It, it feels a little bit like you, you're moonlighting as a photojournalist after after all your years in radio broadcast. Except that I don't get paid. <laughs> yeah, well, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> but no, and uh, I do it also. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, two groups of people especially uh, write me about it all the time. And one group of people in the Pioneers Home who can't get out. Hmm. And they say, boy, thank you because I really miss this. I really want to see it. And that's one group. It makes me feel really good that, that, they're, that they're looking at the pictures on Facebook, I guess the old people's social media. Yeah. And then, and then the other group are Sitka diaspora, people who've moved away and say, you know, oh, oh, as a kid, I remember walking here. Or what I intrigued is, is that it looks familiar, but it doesn't look right. And it is the place that they're describing. It's just changed yeah. so much. I get a lot of that. And it's really, it's really kind of cool that I can, uh, I can, you know, make contact with people who had lived here before, who maybe tell me a little something about the history of where it was or what they were doing, and some of them are very surprised. Like, I took a picture of uh, Totem, uh, Totem Square building framed in some goat's beard the other day and posted it, and someone said, "What building is that?" And I said, "The old Sheffield." What? <laughs> they couldn't believe it because it looked so different. Yeah. Same building, yeah, but it looked so different. Yeah, it is. A, what, I think it was. Uh, there's a Facebook group called Sitka Yesterday or something like yeah. that, and there's a lot of f- photos and and folks that went to high school here in the 50s and 60s, and and you know other folks as well. And I I know when I was in graduate school and college uh, away from here, I was I'd still come back in the summer, but during the year I was always the internet wasn't quite as big yeah. at the time as it is now. But I was something I was definitely keeping an eye out for was connections with with home and. Uh, it is. It, I remember having a conversation with. Um, it was Alice Johnstone and and me and Ryan Kaufman, yeah. and Ryan asked Alice, you know, how things have changed since she's. Of course, she had been here since 1939 right. or something like that, and she, she kind of looked and she looked at me and she goes, "Why don't you ask him? He grew up here." And I said, "You know, the funny thing is, if you've lived here the whole time." You don't always remember. Like you see a picture and you get reminded, but because it's been these gradual changes all along. It's easy to forget what things used to be there in some ways. If you really want to know what it was like before, ask somebody that moved away because it's like fixed in their yeah. memory. Is, is, and so it's interesting, you know, the people very sensitive to even small changes sometimes. It doesn't look quite right, but that's because, you know, their memory is, is of, of what it was. And, and for me, at least, you know, over the last 40 plus years of my memory here that like I can reconstruct some of the stuff, but it's difficult because what's prominent is, is what's here. Why well, asked Rocky Gutierrez when he retired as city manager what he thinks the biggest changes were and when the biggest changes occurred? Now, you know, for a lot of people, it was the Second World War. Mm. But for Rocky, he said it was the time between uh, oh, 1965 and 1972. He said because 
Crescent Beach went away and Crescent yeah. Harbor went in. Harbor Drive went in, and that completely changed Harbor Mount. Uh, it completely changed uh, um, Noon Clean, mm-hmm. uh, Castle Hill, and the Pioneer, uh, and the um, Centennial Building went in. The uh, library went in. The bridge went in, and he said that completely. He said that was from his mind the most complete change in Sitka. And of course, he presided over it. Yeah. Yeah, the change of the waterfront there is looking at pictures of Crescent Bay yeah. Beach, yeah. you know, from the campus, right. Sheldon Jackson, down to, yeah, to Castle Hill and, and where the bridge is now. So much fill has gone in there and then the excavating of the of the harbor. And I don't know. It's, uh, you know, I was never alive when the harbor wasn't there. Yeah. So that's And I, I, I got now, here so. after the harbor went in, too. Yeah. And so it's – but I look at those pictures and there's a certain amount of like, well – I, it sounds like I, I can't remember who I was talking to, but they said that one of the proposals for the harbor was Jamestown Bay, actually. But everybody's like, "That's way too far out the road." Yeah, <laughs> um, and you know how times have changed. I remember talking to Marge Ward and Marlis Tadeen, who had a place right by uh, Pruitt's, yeah. they, like next door. And when they moved out there in the in the '60s, everybody's like, "Why are you moving so far out of town?" <laughs> and once she she they said when the high school came in where it is now. That changed the the sort of the dynamic of of housing and stuff. The high school going up there sort of brought more weight to that part, of, and then it started to expand and have all the neighborhoods out there now. And it doesn't seem so far out of town, but uh, yeah, it's a sort of different perspective. But yeah, that Crescent Bay, like in my mind, it would be nice if that was still all beach. Like like that would have been kind of a cool waterfront for the town. But um, but the harbor's good to have too. So. Uh, and, and and also the park strip along the harbor mm-hmm. is really a beautiful part yeah. of town. Yeah, it's a nice nice walk there. It's super I mean, do you walk when you do you park at the park or do you walk the full seawalk from from like uh, uh the the parking lot near the, downtown? Depends on how much time I have. Yeah. I mean sometimes I walk the whole walk. I walk you know, the seawalk into the park and then sometimes I sometimes I'll split the difference in or sometimes I'll walk, start in the park and walk back. And sometimes I'll split the difference and park behind the old Stratton Library mm. and, uh, you know, go either way and do that. It just depends on how much time I have and how much energy I have. Uh, it, the walks have been a little slower lately because I've had health problems and I've had, you know, uh, I've been going to physical therapy and just building up my strength. And so that's been, that's been something I've had to do. I'm, I have trouble climbing hills right now, although that's getting better. Hmm. And so uh, I'm I'm looking forward to when I can do um, Thimbleberry Heart Lake again. Oh yeah, and I'm looking forward to when I can just climb up to uh, the Grusendorf Muskeg Trail, right. which was one of my favorite trails. Yeah, the Forest and Muskeg Trail is yeah. very nice. Yeah, and the Seawalks that like, you know, I, I there's well, you're on the tourist uh, or the tourist commission. I can't remember the name of the, the task force. Yeah. Task force, yeah. So I'm sure you're you're neck deep in in all the the issues there, but. Uh, the Seawalk feels like it was a nice win-win sort of thing for the community because uh, so many people use that year-round, and then it's it's a great way for the tourists to get around through well, that part of town. Like too. last night, uh, it was a rainy day, and every, and then about 7 o'clock, the clouds broke. We had dramatic clouds all over the mountains, and it was just wonderful to walk out the the, the, the breakwater, the, the, uh, the oh, yeah. yellow cedar walk on the breakwater to that so you could get out. And look at the sound around you and look at the mountains. I just took a whole bunch of pictures of clouds and mountains and blue sky breaking through. And it was a wonderful day, to, wonderful way to end the day. And just, you know, okay, 
it's nice. Let's let's go there. And you know, a few years ago, I wouldn't have had that option of walking out on that jetty and being out there and looking at it and taking some pictures and just enjoying it, looking at look at some of the flowers growing along the uh, the cable mm. uh, that is uh, part of the. The, the banister, I guess, the, uh, yeah. the barricade. Well, when they first built it, they didn't have any railings, and, right. and somebody came along and was like, that's not going to work. Yeah. And now, there, now there's flowers growing along that, some yeah. of that cable. It's really nice. Yeah, there's some uh, dwarf fireweed there, and yeah. I don't know. I, it's, I haven't walked down there just recently, so it's not fresh in my mind what else I've seen growing there. I know I've well, seen some I, other Well, I posted things. some pictures. Yeah, I have no idea what the flowers are. Well, I'll have but, to take a look. But they're really nice. Do you remember what they look like? Um, well, uh, actually, they're white. And they are, um, they're quite... Uh, there might be some daisies along there, they're too. They're not daisies. They're, um, okay. Let's see if I can get them. Uh, oh, this is going to look great on the radio. Yeah. Flipping through <laughs> pictures that I took. But, um, yeah, uh, that, that uh, well, I guess it was 2014, the Seawalk went in there, and, and I had climbed out on the, on the breakwater, you know, when it was breakwater before. But, yeah, that was... Uh, uh, that was much more of an ordeal. To, I did a few times, yeah. yeah. But um, you know, now that now that I'm older, it's uh, it's nice not to have to stumble across the rocks. Yeah, because those rocks, uh, yeah, they were they were tricky. When I was a kid, I thought they were fun to run on, but now I'm worried about falling. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, well, it was the same way. Same way when I go out to the causeway. Uh, yeah. The causeway has, in effect, deteriorated so much that it's hard to walk on anymore. Yeah, they have the 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 causeway at the you know closer to Whiting Harbor. There's there's some nice paths and stuff, but if you want to go out very far, yeah, that's um here. That's a challenge. Little white flowers. Okay, yeah, let's see. Oh, those look kind of like uh spirea. Um I think somebody might have planted those ones. They okay. look they look like planted ones. But um They're out they're out yeah. about halfway out the uh... a little it's uh it's definitely a rose family one and I think really? they, they might be a spirea. It's yeah. a rose family? Yeah. Yeah. Rose family is pretty big. There's a lot of different stuff in rose family that no, they, they just really I thought they they just struck my eye. And yeah. I, and I post them hope someone would tell me yeah. you know, what they were. I'm I'm a lot better with uh native plants than I am with cultivated plants. I'm not much of a gardener. So yeah. so I always, Neither am I. I have some I have some friends that are that are gardeners that I that I uh I'm like what's this one if uh if I want to know what one of those are, and often they'll know because um, there's, I think, a fairly standard set of, of things that uh, that folks use for landscaping plants. Well, there are a lot of here. cultivated plants that have now become wild plants. Yeah, that's true. Invasive yeah. plants. Yeah, that's true. Fortunately, we don't, you know, they're around on the road system, but they don't seem to be making much of the, dandelions being an exception, yeah. but they, I, I consider them just fully naturalized at this point. Yeah. I mean, they're here. You're not going to get rid of them. And they seem to be getting along with others. They're not like dominating and excluding everything. So yeah. I don't, I don't, some people get pretty like they, bothered by it. For me, I'm just like, well, I you mean, know, they make me happy. It's a sign yeah. of spring. Yeah. And they, they're one of the earlier blooming ones. And then on some of these slopes and, and the thing is where they do the best and where they seem, where they're most abundant is where people just yeah. keep going because they're tough. Yeah. Um, but you get those, the slope along the outer part of, of the embankment where the bridge is going up, the, the road's going up the bridge right. Harbor drive here, that, that outer facing slope sometimes is just covered in dandelions. It's just like the whole slope is yellow. Yeah. You kind of have to make an effort to go over there and look, but, uh, but that one's one of the most more striking places that I enjoy. Yeah, well, one of the things that happened that really upset me was when they took all the salmon berries off Castle Hill. Mm. I lo- used to love to go there for salmon berries. 
Yeah, yeah, I guess. And then they, well, is that when they put in the, the yeah, the, put in the handicapped access, yeah. which I'm glad they did. Yeah, yeah, that that um, those stairs are steep. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, and then they put in a bunch of uh, landscaping plants there too. Yeah. It's an interesting mix of of species there. But and the the maple trees, I kind of wonder, you know, speaking about older trees. There's those large maple trees there right. that turn brilliant yellow yeah, beautiful in, the fall. in the fall. Yeah. And they're spreading, you know, they've, they've moved around. And I'm kind of curious, like, how old those oldest ones are. I don't know, like, are they Russian era or, pre- or you know, post-Russian era? I don't uh, know. But, yeah, it would be, it'd be interesting to get a core, I guess, of one of them sometime and, and just to see how old it is. But, yeah, they're, um, I have a picture of from Crescent Harbor uh, looking back, a fishing boat coming in, and you have Castle Hill with the um, with the yellow, mm-hmm. uh, the yellow maples, and then Mount Edgecombe just has you know the top three hundred feet or so covered in just fresh snow, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of uh, it's one of that's on a always, blue sky day. That's always one of my favorite uh, seasons is the uh, well the fall when the fresh snow gets on the mm-hmm. mountains. It's so white and pure. And the other is the first skunk cabbage. Oh. I really love taking pictures of the first skunk cabbage. Yeah, they're the lanterns that they yeah. that they put up, and yeah. yeah, especially if you can get the sun kind of shining yes. through them. Yeah, they they almost like glow, and and often it's swamp water around them, so it's yeah. really dark. You know that dark brown tea tea yeah. water. Yeah, yeah, I like to uh, the the places I go to catch them first are the Path of Hope, hmm. which is you know past Mer- uh, um, Molar Field, Molar Soccer Field, and between there and the lake, and also Mosquito Cove Trail. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a, yeah, right along the beginning there. Right along the beginning. Yeah. And then I come back next time and they've all been eaten down by bears. <laughs> <laughs> the deer eat them too. Yeah. yeah, it's, I don't, that's always been a curiosity to me because skunk cabbage, they're not, they're not toxic in the sense that like it's chemical stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, um, they have oxalate crystals, mm. which shred your tissues. Yeah. Um, so they're just really like little sharp needles. So that, why eat them? Well, right. Well, yeah. the, the thing is, that's why people don't eat them. But I, and I don't understand how deer and bear can eat them. It's like because they also have tissue, but there must be because if if it were something where you could just like the toxin, you had yeah. processing ability to process the toxin, that'd be one thing. But this is like a mechanical, physical thing rather than a chemical thing. Yeah. So I, I've always been curious about that. How it is that they can eat those things and not have mm-hmm. the tissue damage that that people get? Yeah. Maybe they just have tougher, tougher. Um, Innards. Skin, yeah, yeah, something going on in yeah. there. You know, taking pictures is a lot of fun, and I've I've started doing some. It, this the 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 walk started for health reasons. The blog started because I would write a letter home from overseas every week, but you know you'd send it by email, and uh, you really couldn't send pictures. The bandwidth wasn't good, and so when I had bandwidth, I'd post pictures that went with each letter, and I called it postcards from the transition because. It's a transition between communism and and whatever it was replaced by, depending on whether it was um, Hungary replaced by oligarchy or replaced by democracy or whatever. But I called it postcards from the transition, and uh, that evolved into a blog. And you know, it was it, it was originally pictures of places like you know Serbia and Kosovo and Georgia and Bosnia, and it became when I got home pictures of Sitka, and I'd, I'd post pictures, you know, I'd accumulate pictures from my page, Facebook posts, and every once in a while I'll post them. But now what I'm doing is I'm trying to chronicle life mm. in Sitka. So I, I write short essays about things, like uh, I'm writing one now about the end of the music festival. Uh, I wrote one about uh, the fine arts camp. 
Uh, and uh, and a lot of it is going back to my memories of when we first started doing that. So it's kind of a new direction I'm going in. Uh, uh, I'm still taking my walks and taking those pictures, but I'm now trying to go to more events and take pictures of them, whether it be the Pride March or uh, the Farmer's Market today or whatever. How do people find your your site, your weblog? Um, mostly by accident. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, is there I, an I, don't, that... I don't do anything to promote it. Yeah, is there, well, if people are listening now and want to check it out, do you happen to remember the address off yeah, the top of your head? Uh, rich.mcclear.net. Rich.mcclear.net, all right. Yeah, and, and basically I'll, I'll post, I'll cross-post, so I'll take, I'll take um, bits of you know, a, a blog URL and put it on my Facebook page. I used to put it on Sitka Chatters and the like, but I get tired of, of Facebook banning me. Yeah. I was banned 22 times on Facebook wow. for posting pictures, and the last time was for a month. Wow. And so I said, okay, this is ridiculous. Um, so I just, I just said I will post on my own Facebook page. I won't cross-post anymore. I won't post the chatters or Sick Alaska people or some of the others because when I do, they, they, they say I'm spam. Huh. And uh, I, I always found that really interesting. If you post nature pictures, uh, it's spam. But if you post some uh, you know, political thing, then that's okay. That's free speech. They won't take you down. Huh. So I thought that was, that was kind of strange. <laughs> so uh, so apparently, apparently pictures of Sitka sunsets, pictures of uh, plants, pictures of mountains, and pictures of wildlife are considered spam by Facebook. Wow. The algorithm is inscrutable sometimes, I guess. It's... <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Yeah, it is. I've, I've, you know, kept, I had my own website before Facebook was a thing, and I just kind of have mostly kept there. I, every once in a while, post something somewhere else. But it's been, it's been interesting. You know, I, I, the, I've, as, as I've been doing it now for, I mean, my first journals go back to 1998, so 25 years. Yeah. And, and I like, like, it's helpful for me to go back and remember what it was like for myself at the beginning. Some of the things that comments that I made now, because it's so far back that I just, I, there's things that I take for granted now that, that at the time were new to me. And it's good to have those reminders. But I also like, you know, what you're, you're talking about there. And I've thought about that too. Sometimes I just haven't made the time for myself to, to sit down and, and be reflective in that way to, you know, write these essays. And because there's, you know, capturing a little bit of the slice of life and time and the feeling of the time and all of that, it's, you can get that a little bit through the pictures and, and kind of just factual reporting is essentially what I'm doing in my, most of my journals. But, but to actually kind of connect that uh, is, it, it's, it's interesting. And I guess, you know, like you said, the music festival, I suppose you were here, what, that about around the same time that it started, I guess. Well, was, I, 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 I was here in 73, but I wasn't doing the music festival. Yeah. I was living outside. I was trying to find a way to move here. Okay. And then I moved yeah. to Juneau. Yeah. You know, I managed K2 before I was able to come over here to uh, uh, help build Raven Radio. But I've been going to the music festival steadily since 1981. That's uh, a while. Yeah. That time has added up. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, a lot, of mem- a lot of things have changed on that, too. And my attitude toward it has changed a lot. Mm. Yeah, it's well. What brought you to Sitka in the first place? I was a tourist. I, uh, my wife and I, and we had a ten-week-old kid. We got on a plane, and I read about Alaska. And the one place I was most interested in visiting was Sitka because of the history. And so we got off the plane and hit Sitka. Stayed at the Sitka Hotel, which was um, pretty interesting even then. Yeah, and we stayed at the Sitka Hotel, and we we, we just fell in love with the place. 
So that's that's nuts. Uh, you can't f- come to a place and fall in love with it. So we went back to Minnesota. We were building a community radio station in northern Minnesota. We came back. We decided to come back in March, and we stayed you know longer. And we didn't see the sun once. It rained the whole time. We never saw Mount Edgecombe. Uh, and we loved it. And uh, we left uh, just before April 1st, just before, just before the volcano eruption oh, yeah. on April 1st. We missed that. You know, and we went back, ran this radio station for a while longer. And then uh, I was able to, uh, okay, I could get a job in Juneau managing K2. So did that. I was closer to Sitka. And then you know, would come over here and talk to people and realized that, uh, okay, we could build a public radio station here. There's already a group that had organized to do it and made the application. Dan Edlane, Kathy Kyle, Jim Steffen were all part of that group. And so uh, they invited me over, and I quit the job in Juneau and came over to uh, help build Raven Radio. So that was, Raven Radio started in 1981? 1982. I moved over here in 1980, and it took us, you know, we got a state grant in the 1980 legislature, um, and it took us longer to build the station than most because, um, and the board was very wise in this, the board decided that we should have the people build it rather than do a turnkey package. So instead of doing a turnkey package, we, uh, you know, uh, Jim Steffen got some carpenters, Kermit Whittemore got some carpenters together. We gutted the top floor of the cable house. We built the studios. We did it with volunteer labor. And it took us longer, but it really cemented us with members of the community. And we also had square dances, and um, I learned how to call square dances, good grief, and <laughs> stuff like that. And we finally went on the air in 82, in the spring of 82, late winter of 82, and it was really a great community effort. And the bonus was we came in $44,000 under budget, and we used that to build the first translators in Cake and Angoon. Oh, nice. So, so it's nice. been in this building, uh, the cable yeah. house, since the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. We, we rented space from Alascom, and we, as I said, we, we gutted the top floor, put in the studios, and you know, we, but we did it with volunteer labor. We could have done a turnkey package. We would have been on the air six months sooner. Yeah. But it was worth it, I think, from the community's point of view to do it the way. And it was, it was the, the uh, implement, impetus of the board that did it, you know. Steph Stefan really was important, and Kermit Whittemore were both on the board, and they were really important in building that community shares ethos. Mm. Well, it's definitely been uh, like my first memories of the radio station are uh, listening to At the Hop, I guess, on Saturday oh, sure. mornings back in the 80s on my old Sony Walkman, you know, radio. And I think I even recorded, uh, you know, old cassette recording of a, of a show, and, and I would just listen to that on my on my cassette player. Uh, old technology these days, uh, but it's kind of kind of fun to to think back how long uh, the station's been a part of the community. I've been doing this show hard to believe now, but for I guess I started in 2012, so almost mm. uh, so over 11 years now. And um, yeah, it's and I know there was other shows before this one with folks. I remember listening. I don't know if it lasted very long, but there was a show called Out the Door. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't know if I caught it very often, but uh, the one I remember is uh, some folks bushwhacking up to Lake Irina. Mm. They had gone over to Reedout Lake, and there's Lake Irina is up above yep. there, and they'd, 
they were talking about their their trip, and I thought, oh, that sounds like a fun place to and go. And then Eric Jordan did Fin and Feather. Right, Fin and Feather for, years. for, for many years. And, of course, yeah. Nels with Encounters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was always fun to to listen to Encounters and then to talk with him on, on my show and when he was alive. He was, uh, I usually was able to talk to him once or once a year at least, maybe a couple of times, and he was always so enthusiastic. It was. Uh, oh, yes. He was my yeah. neighbor. Was, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it was so enthusiastic, and actually, he was one of the first people I told I was thinking about doing this, and and you almost couldn't not do it when when after, after yes. you know his enthusiasm for it, and he's like, oh, that's great. So so it was fun. I got I got the training here, and um, with uh, Kayla, um, whose last Kayla name Mitcher? is yeah, yep, yep, yeah. The last name fell out of my head for a moment there, and and then I was on my way. Did my I, I think I had to do a music show as my first flight thing, yeah. um, but after I was like, well, I want to do this this. Uh, Talk about nature show. So, um, so it's been, it's been, it's been fun. I had a lot of opportunity to talk to people over the years and, and talk to some of the folks that are visiting here and doing scientific, you know, research that we don't always get to hear about. So I always enjoy sometimes getting out with them, but, but certainly talking with them and finding out what they're learning about what we're, what what we've got going on here. So, yeah. And we got a lot going on. I mean, I'm excited about the new opening of the cross trail. Oh Yeah. You know that that's happening. Did you make it out? The grand no, I, opening. I didn't was make this it weekend. out the grand okay. opening. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm at an age where it's sometimes I sometimes have mobility problems, mm-hmm. and I have trouble climbing. I'm uh, I, I got COVID a couple of years ago, and my lungs never really recovered completely. But this town has so many trails that are accessible to me that I love. You know, I I I love, of course, the national park. I'm out there all the time. The Sea Walk, I love. I, I like, you know, parts of the Mosquito Cove Trail where I don't have to climb. The Stargavin Estuary Boardwalk is wonderful. Um, I, I, really, I really love going through the Muskeg. Uh, I, I take the cross trail from, you know, the Indian River parking lot to the Muskeg, then uh, across the Muskeg back to the um, Indian River Trail and then back to the parking lot. That's a short little loop that's just really pleasant, nice, nice Muskeg Trail, things like that. And, you know, it, there is so many opportunities for me, or even just along Silver Bay, you know, for me to walk where I can and get out every day. And it's, uh, I really feel grateful for that. And I'm grateful for my camera for forcing me to do that. Yeah, yeah. Camera and friends that want to see your pictures. Yeah. And it is it is very encouraging when folks respond positively yeah. and, and appreciate, you know, what you're what you're sharing that way. You know, whether they be folks who can't get out themselves or, or some folks find it encouraging to get out. They're like, oh, I, it's like it's easy to get stuck in our own inside indoor world, you know, and not, you know, we live in this place that has a lot, uh, a lot to see. And, you know, the, the, uh, the, I guess it's the separated trail, you know, the bike trail actually goes out all, all of Sawmill Creek Road, right. but starting from Whale Park you know, on out to the industrial yeah. park there, that section there is especially scenic. And That's a nice walk. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, really, it's really a nice walk to park at the turnout, walk up to, um, you know, up the hill to Whale Park, and then going down, you're going back, you're going downhill. Yeah, and yeah. So that's nice. And the mountains, and, you know, sometimes of the year I see whales feeding there. Oh, yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah, it's a good place for birds uh, sometimes a year, and I always like to sea lions too. Sea lions as well. Yeah, I like to watch the. Well, you mentioned before the the fresh snow on the mountains. Yes, but I, the the way that the snow on the mountains changes over the year, like the quality, like this time of year, I like to track 
I, I always try and get out sometime. It's usually in September, sometimes into October. I call it mountain snow minimum. And, mm. I, and I take a picture of, of when the snow is the least on the mountains. And then I can compare that year over year. Uh, that's one of my hobbies. Then also when the snow melts off the pyramids. Yes. Uh, the last little spot of snow. And that's probably going to be in the next couple of weeks here based on how, how much is left there. So there's these places that I, I revisit. And Bear Mountain, Cross Mountain is is one of yeah. those. And then the fresh snow in the fall, how there's so much texture because it's just thin. And so all the little ledges and all of that where where it's not, you know, or it might be vertical or overhanging shows up as dark and you get this this really textured look of the mountains. Then as we get into the spring and the um the, you know, the last snow when it's still accumulating, it always feels like, well, it should be spring now in March, but often there's as much snow falls in March, it seems like, right. in the mountains yeah. as there is earlier in the winter. And then it just softens up and it's like this, it's this all puffy, puffy stuff. And then it, you know, gradually starts And, and now uh, Bobby Jordan tells me the wildflowers are about to pop on Harbor Mountain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I was up there, oh, it's been a couple of weeks last yeah. time when we had, had some sunshine and... Um, and there was, you know, the early flowers, it's, you know, it's yeah. different, it's different pulses of, of different species that bloom earlier or later in the season. And so there's, there's often, it's a little bit of a walk to get out to where they're yeah. the, they're that, that slope where there's the, the most diversity and, and abundance of the flowers, but even closer, you know, at the picnic area and stuff, right. there's little flowers blooming in the muskegs or along the side of the road. Yeah. I had a real surreal experience there uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was up there, I was walking down from the old radar site, the picnic area, and I heard Bach on a cello. Oh. I said, what? <laughs> and I look over, and on a knoll opposite, Zool, is, Zool Bailey is out there playing his cello, um, playing Bach on a cello, and it just carried just beautifully across wow. there. And so it was, a, it was one of those surreal experiences. I said, what is going on? Oh, oh, it's just Zool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I, I've seen pictures of him playing in, in several sort yeah. of – uh, unusual, but not places you expect to see a cello. Let's put it that way. But he yeah, seems he, to enjoy that. He was he did that a lot this year. He uh, he's he's played on Whale Island. He you know the little waterfall. Um, you go up Bear Mountain Trail. Right. You know, he's he he was in front of that waterfall playing. Okay, at Herring Cove. Herring, yeah, yeah, at Herring Cove. Yeah, that's a nice little. Just like it's not very long, but you get no. to that little waterfall there before it really starts going uphill. Right. And a nice. Oh, I, of, I love that walk. Yeah, yeah. You know, and can, a little bench there. Yeah. You know, another thing that's interesting there sometime of year, if you're walking along there, you've got a lot of area, and at certain times of year, it's just an ice wall. Mm. And go out there at sunset and watch the way the ice reflects the colors. Um, It's almost, sometimes it's almost like a prism. And you could look at it, and in different stages, you've got the yellows, the reds, and the blues right along that wall. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the discoveries I made just walking along, um, walking along that uh, that road between uh, the mill and Herring Cove, uh, and just it's spectacular. If you're there in the winter, just about the time of the solstice, when the sun is really low, it was one of those days when the sun is breaking through. The refraction on that ice is just spectacular. Yeah, yeah, those seeps there can yeah. make just really. Big ice formations, right? Yeah, especially if we get an extended cold cold yeah. spell. And we had one of those, you know, this uh, yeah. early winter. That's true. Yeah, we had one in November and then another one in December. Yeah, um, and the one in November, 
I was trying to figure out because a lot of the salmon berries this year looked like they had been killed, yeah. you know, like the canes. And I was like, it wasn't that cold last winter, like relative to more to recent winters. But then I remembered that there was that early November cold where it was more like a December right. or January kind of cold. And I, I wonder if that got some of the got some of the bushes. But yeah, it is. It's, well, we finally got salmon berries. I thought yeah. I was waiting a long yeah. time to get my salmon berries. It was a little bit of a slow spring. I yeah. mean, we had that one day got really warm in May and, you know, in the stretch of a, of a week of sunny weather and then a month of, of rain and cool, <laughs> another week of sunny weather. And it's looking like the forecast for the next few days is a little more sun. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But uh, I mean, California is still getting rain. Uh, and this into into June, which is pretty unusual for them. So it's been a. Well, I'm just glad we don't have forest fires in the interior, and we don't have yeah. the smoke coming down here, which we've had a couple of springs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Canada seems to have um, cornered the market on forest fires this year, yeah. and the weather pattern that's been pretty stable has not been conducive for forest fires in Alaska. I was just reading about that. There's somebody that has the Alaska climate blog and they were talking yeah. about that. And, um, but yeah, you know, the East coast of course has had lots of smoke this year. So yeah. one of the things that makes me feel good is when I see people walking in the park and they say, you know, you gave me the idea to come out here. Oh, nice. That really feels good because it is a place, you know, okay. There's lots of nice places to walk in Sitka, but Sitka National Historical Park is one of them. It's accessible. And to see people walking there, and have them make a comment like that is really, really nice. And to see, uh, to, I was out there today, and it was great because it was all local people. Yeah, you know, no, no big ships in. No today. big ships in. Now, I, I do go out, and I do enjoy talking to the visitors. I, you know, they they ask questions, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try and answer them as best I can. But to go out today, and see all people I knew was yeah. great. Yeah, well, hopefully, if anybody's listening to this, you feel encouraged because it is—it's a lot to see out there, and you don't even have to take a camera. I—I I find it enriching to take a camera yeah. and helps me pay attention in different ways and feel. It a forces less. me to look for things. Mm-hmm. Like today, I was—I uh, decided today is going to be a stump day. Oh, okay, just stumps. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you know, and there are some really interesting textures mm-hmm. if you look at them. The way that the wood. Uh, Rots. There's, Rots, there's yes. one on the far side of the river yeah. um, that everyone saw. Like one day I walked there and I, I took a picture. I actually made a print of it because there was just something about the way the light was coming through yeah. the forest. And then that stump was there. It was almost like it was lit up somehow, even though it wasn't strictly speaking. And then the way the texture of it was a brown rot. So it was this kind yeah. of everything goes cubes. Uh, and then little, you know, accent, frosting of green lichens on it and mosses, you know, in various places. And yeah, it just caught my eye that day. Yeah, and uh, it's fun. Like when I see your pictures, I one of the things I do is like, do I recognize that stump? And and <laughs> so that's that's one of my hobbies. It's like, can I can I figure out where that picture was taken at least locally? Yeah. You know, well, you know, after the blowdowns of Mosquito Cove, there's some really, you know, watching that decay has been mm. really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, well, and so you mentioned, you know, you like. Uh, skunk cabbage in the spring is one of the things. Are there? Are there? Have you found over the years? I mean, I don't know how many years you've been doing this now, but that there's places you intentionally are revisiting because oh, you, absolutely, you... absolutely. One of them is just a little, a little place in uh, the Walk of Hope. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not very. It, it's very close to town. Uh, I could just stop there on my way from from the grocery store, and I could just you know get out of the car and walk and look and and watch the way that the plants are 
proceeding through the, uh, through the spring. Mm-hmm. That's one place I like to go. Another is uh, that first part of Mosquito Cove Trail, watching the skunk cabbage and then the other plants, uh, and, and watching the development of the deer heart in the park is something I really enjoy doing. So, you know, yeah, there, there are places I go, and I try to go the same time every year just to look at it and see how it's changed, what's done. It's just great to... Great to get out and do that. Yeah. I'd like to call that, I call it for myself, renewing acquaintances. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's kind of, it's not, it's not like I have conversations or, or anything, but in a, in a sense, I guess, in a more abstract sense, yeah. maybe I am having a conversation, but it's, 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 yeah, renewing acquaintances with these neighbors. Like it's getting to know the neighbors yeah. for me. And that's it, the way I like to think about it. Also watching the boardwalk decay at Stargavin. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that is happening. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, time time is. Uh, it's been there, boy. It's been there probably twenty five years. Yeah, I guess. right. So, but you know, but even that, even though it's somewhat distressing, it's also very interesting. Yeah, to watch. Yeah, that. and uh, especially the Forest and Muskeg Trail, like yes. some parts of that. Yeah, have, uh, I mean they've done some repairs. Yeah, but, some uh, of that is pretty springy under my feet. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I've noticed uh, some of the bridges, uh, like yeah. on Indian River Trail. There's a bridge that used to be pretty solid, and now it's kind of doing this thing, uh, you know, waving up and down as you walk across. I'm like, okay. The other thing I like looking at is some rocks and watching them fracture over oh, the okay. years. You know, the frost might get in yeah. if you're uh, up on Harbor Mountain or something, and just looking. At a couple of rocks, I, I, I've been following, just watching how the fractures are spread in those. Oh, rocks. interesting! Yeah, I don't. I've never actually tried to follow the fractures. I wouldn't have. I mean, I guess. Well, things grow in them. Then. Yes. Yeah, it makes sense yeah. that they would be fracturing. You know, over a season, yeah. even. And I found rocks that were like on the beach that are just like fractured in half. I don't know how that happened, but um, both halves just sitting there. Uh, but yeah, that's another interesting one to to look at and. Do you find in your pictures sometimes there are things that you didn't notice at the time yep. that if you had, you would have paid more attention to? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. That's been a long a long lesson, uh, a repeated lesson for me, I guess, of, oh, I wish I'd been paying more attention at the time because I would have yeah. taken better pictures of that that aspect. Yeah. But, you know, I think the important thing is just to get out and enjoy it because it's we live in such an incredible place and I just... I, I for a while I was taking it for granted. I don't anymore. Yeah, nice. Well, it's about time for us to wrap up. You have any any last thoughts? That seemed like a good one. But if you have any more, love to hear it. I think the last thought is uh, if you can get out and enjoy it, but don't always walk fast. Yeah, walk slowly, and don't always look up. Look down and to either side because there's all sorts of things to see. I I read uh, a guy that that is likes to look at insects and and insect tracks and so like yeah. he deeply into that and goes the slower you go the more you see yeah. so and, and the, the other thing is if you see a group of people all aiming their iphones in one direction take a look it's probably an eagle around it's probably here but, an eagle, but yeah. still <laughs> um yep yeah for sure often people are are looking at stuff um yeah. that's that's interesting well i appreciate you coming in and and visiting with me thanks matt yeah thank you You've been listening to a conversation I recorded yesterday with Rich McClear. I want to thank him for taking some time to visit with me. And thank you for joining me here on the Sitka Nature Show this week. As always, I'd love to hear what you're seeing out there. Please feel free to send me an email, sitkanature at gmail.com, or get on Facebook and like the Sitka Nature page there. Until next time, this has been Matt on the Sitka Nature Show, KCAW, Sitka.